Well, good morning, sisters and brothers. Uh, could you please turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us by your Spirit through your Word uh, as we look at this passage together. Uh, help us to see very clearly uh, not only who we are, but uh, the purpose that you've given us uh, so that we might live uh, as people who please you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the situation in our country is getting more and more difficult, isn't it? Uh, in spite of the lockdown, daily COVID cases aren't dropping. Uh, they're no longer shooting up as they were before, but they haven't come to a point that we can open up a bit more. And in fact, in many places, the lockdowns had to be tightened. And so all the stressful things about going through a lockdown just keep on going. And many of us who are okay when the lockdown started are beginning to find things difficult. And some of us who weren't okay are beginning to find things nearly impossible. Times are hard. When we started looking at 1 Peter at the beginning of the lockdown, we saw that he was writing to Christians who were also going through hard times, but for different reasons. And the first thing he did was to help them establish their identity. They were elect exiles. So are we. We were chosen by God the Father, set apart by the Spirit for obedience to Christ and sprinkling with his blood. Our true home is in heaven, not here, so we don't really belong. We are elect exiles. And then from his readers' identity, Peter moved on to talk about their hope and ours. We have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And now we have a great inheritance waiting for us in heaven. God is keeping us by faith for that inheritance, and he is keeping it for us. And that gives us hope as we face the various trials in life. And so we must discipline our minds to set our hope fully on the grace that will be revealed when Christ returns. And then... Peter began to talk about the conduct of those who have this hope. He told us to be holy because God is holy. Uh, and we are accountable to God the Father, uh, as, who is a just Father, and we are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And so he said we must conduct ourselves with fear. Uh, we've been forgiven and given new life so that we will be people who love. And so we must genuinely love each other. Uh, and get rid of the evil that will spoil our relationships. We have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, so we should crave the pure spiritual milk of the gospel by which we can grow. Identity to hope to conduct. Now, in the rest of this letter, Peter is, is mostly going to be talking more about conduct. But before he does that, he actually wants us to be clear on one other thing. Purpose. What are we here for? Now, everyone... Christian or non-Christian needs purpose in life. And we need a reason to get up in the morning, even in a lockdown. Our purpose guides our decisions, our values, our conduct. And having a meaningful and having a, a and having a purpose gives a sense of meaning to our lives. And so the world tells us that we need to discover our purpose or to make it up. But for Christians, our purpose is given to us by God. And because our purpose comes from God, it doesn't just give us a sense of meaning, but true meaning. He's our creator. He really is the right person to tell us our purpose. But more than that, he is our redeemer. He has saved those who believe and made us his people for a purpose. And in our passage today, we discover what that purpose is. We will see our purpose is closely connected to our identity, and that our purpose determines our conduct even in these difficult times. 
There are two parts to our passage today. In the first part, from verses 4 to 8, uh, Peter develops the metaphor of stones. Uh, Jesus Christ, he will say, is the living stone. He will talk about how the stone relates to believers and to unbelievers. Uh, but the reason he opens up this thing about stones in the first place is to introduce the idea of a spiritual temple. And he does that because he wants to show us our identity as priests in the temple. And the reason he does that is so that we can see our purpose there. And in the second part, from verses 9 to 10, uh, Peter will elaborate on our corporate identity so that once again he can show us the purpose for which God has given us that identity. Right, so who we are and what are we here for are the two big questions that Peter will answer for us today. So let's begin with the first part of the passage, looking at the stones. In verse 4, uh, Peter identifies Jesus as a living stone rejected by men. Right? Human beings rejected Jesus because he didn't fit their expectations. And that rejection was ultimately expressed in his crucifixion. But God has a different view of this living stone. But in the sight of God, Peter continues, this stone is chosen and precious. And that's an echo of Isaiah 28. Remember back in Isaiah 28, Israel felt secure despite their rebellion against God because of some kind of bargain they had made. And God warns them that this bargain will not stop his judgment against them. Don't trust in your schemes and bargains, God said to his Old Testament people. And then he tells them what they can trust in to save them from his wrath. And Peter quotes God's word from Isaiah in verse 6. He says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. A cornerstone uh, is the first stone to be laid down in a building. Right? It has to be just perfect because the rest of the building is built around that stone. Right? It sets the alignment this way and this way and this way. Every other stone in the building will ultimately be aligned to that cornerstone. It's the most important stone in the building. And Peter says that Jesus is the cornerstone. In the words of verse 6, he is chosen and precious, or another way to translate it, chosen and honored. Uh, the only way to escape God's judgment is through him. Whoever believes on him, it says, will not be put to shame. Now, those who believe honor this living stone. They consider it precious like God does. And so in verse 7, the honor is for you who believe. But those who don't believe reject the stone. For them, verse 7 continues, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Now, that quote is from Psalm 118, where it, it, uh, it looked like the psalmist, who was actually pointing forward to Jesus, would be defeated by his enemies. And then God rescued him and exalted him. Right? And this big turnaround led to great jubilation. And the psalmist joyfully says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. I right? just imagine an ancient building site where there are all these stones there ready to be built into a house. And the builders pick up one stone and say, oh no, this one's useless, let's throw it away. And in the end, that stone becomes the cornerstone. And friends, Jesus was rejected by man. He was crucified. And yet God raised him to life and exalted him as the Lord and King of all and made him the center of all his plans and purposes for the world. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So if there's anyone who is listening to this today who is thinking, Jesus is useless, just throw him away. Please don't make that mistake. He may not do what you want him to do. He may not fulfill your wishes or fit your plans, but he is at the very center of God's plans for the whole world. And it's only through him that you can be saved. Don't make the mistake of rejecting Jesus.
And then Peter quotes another Old Testament passage about those who don't believe. Uh, for them, Jesus, the living stone, will be, verse 8, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And this is from Isaiah chapter 8, where God is warning the prophet Isaiah not to be like the people of his country. Right? The thing that they feared was invasion by Assyria, the superpower of his day. But God said, actually, don't worry about them. Fear the Lord. He will be a sanctuary. A place of safety from them, but a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling, both to the houses of Israel and a tra uh, uh, sorry and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Right? Imagine someone walking down a path and there's a stone there, but either they don't see it or they don't take any notice of it. And what happens? They walk and they trip over it and they fall down. And God says he'll be that kind of stone for Israel. And Peter says that Jesus Christ is that kind of stone for those who reject him. They stumble, verse 8 continues, because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And if we refuse to obey the gospel, if we refuse to hear the message that, if we hear the message that, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again, but we refuse to come to him as our Savior and King, then, then he will be our downfall. And our rejection of him will simply compound our guilt in the judgment of the last day. Now, Peter has actually gone off topic a little bit by talking so much about Jesus as the living stone, how people respond to him, because, because he loves telling people about Jesus. But, but this whole stone theme was actually set up to, 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 to help set up the idea that, like Jesus, we are living stones. And come back to me to verse 4 and 5. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Right? In other words, when you put your faith in Jesus, you're like a stone that is added to the spiritual building that was started with Jesus as the cornerstone. And as more and more people around the world believe in Jesus, that building is being built up stone by stone. And this spiritual house is a temple. And the reason this spiritual house is being built up in verse 5 is for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now, Peter mixes his metaphors here a bit because on the one hand, we are the stones in the temple. On the other hand, we are all the priests who sacrifice there. Not just, just a few of us, but, but all of us who trust in Jesus. And he will say that explicitly in verse 9. Now, all of us being priests might be a little bit confusing to some of us because of the way we use the English language. Right? When we're talking in English about ordained church leaders like Gordon and Con and myself, we, the word priest we use is an old English word which is short for presbyter, which in the Greek is presbyteros, and in our translations of the Bible we read as elder. Right? So an Anglican priest or presbyter is the biblical elder, right? nothing to do with the priests in the Bible or, or, or the sacrifices. Uh, the Greek word that the English Bible translates as priest is a completely different word, eros. Uh, in the Old Covenant, the eros priests offered the sacrifices in the temple that pointed forward to Christ. But in the New Covenant, there is one great high priest, Jesus Christ, who offered himself once and for all as a sacrifice for sin. And then all of us are a holy priesthood who offer spiritual sacrifices to God in the spiritual temple. But what are these spiritual sacrifices that we offer? And they can't be like the Old Testament sacrifices, the animal sacrifices that the, the priests made in the physical temple, because Jesus in his death has made the once and for all sacrifice for sin. So what could these sacrifices be? Well, to work that out, let's think of a couple of other places in the New Testament, these parallel passages where 
these spiritual sacrifices are explained. Uh, the first one is in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, where Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he elaborates to show what that means. It means, verse 2 of Romans 12, having a renewed mind to see things from God's point of view with his priorities. It means, verses 3 to 8, playing our part in serving the body with the gifts God has given us. It means, verse 9, having genuine love, contributing to needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, verse 13, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, in verse 15. It means, verse 17, not taking revenge, in verse 21, overcoming evil with good. It means, in chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, submitting to the authorities, obeying their laws, paying our taxes. It means 13.9, loving our neighbor as ourselves. It means 13.13, avoiding sexual immorality and drunkenness and quarreling. You see, as New Testament priests, worship involves every part of our lives, and the living sacrifice we offer is our bodies, and that entails all that our bodies do. Now, that's the Spirit speaking through Paul in Romans. Uh, the other place we read this explained is in Hebrews 12 and 13. Uh, in Hebrews 12, 28, we are told to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. And how is this worship expressed? Well, we keep on reading because there's no chapter breaks in the original. In Hebrews 13, 1, love each other as brothers. In verse 4, honor marriage and keep it poor keep it pure. Uh, in verse 5, avoid the love of money and be content with what we have. Verse 7, remember our leaders who spoke to us the word of God. In verse 9, don't get led away by false teaching. Verse 13, be willing to suffer reproach for Jesus. And just in case we are tempted to think that the writer of the Hebrews has left the topic of worship, he actually continues in verse 15 and says, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What are the sacrifices here? Praise, telling others how good God is, doing good, sharing with those in need. These are the sacrifices that the writer of the Hebrews says God is pleased with, and that's the Spirit speaking through the writer of the Hebrews. Now, having seen what Spirit says in, in Romans and in Hebrews, let's go back to 1 Peter. Do we see a similar pattern? Well, Peter is telling us about offering spiritual sacrifices here in this passage, and in the rest of the book, he tells us what they are. Uh, in verse 9, being a royal priest is about declaring God's praises, speaking about him. Uh, in verse 11, he talks about abstaining from the passions of the flesh. Uh, from verse 13 onwards, submitting to those in authority. Uh, in chapter 3, verse 8, living in unity and harmony. In chapter 4, verse 3, avoiding sinful behavior. In chapter 4, verse 9, practicing hospitality, serving the body by using our gifts, being willing to suffer as a Christian. It's, it's very, very similar, isn't it? Just like Romans, just like Hebrews. We offer spiritual sacrifices, not in the ritual way like in Old Testament times, but by living lives of love and service and obedience to God. Our love and service and obedience are the sacrifices that we offer to God. That is why in some of our services we sing this wonderful hymn. It says, O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim, with gold of obedience and incense of lowliness. Kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. The hymn is saying that what we bring to God in worship is not... It is, 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 is holiness and obedience and lowliness or humility. These are the spiritual sacrifices that we offer to him. That is what true Christian worship is about. But even then, our worship is defective because we are still far from perfect. And even the good things we do and we offer are tainted. So how to offer to God? 
Well, Peter says at the end of verse 5 that we offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our worship is never offered by ourselves. That's not good enough. But it's offered through the perfect worshiper, our one mediator, Jesus Christ. For he takes our poor and feeble and inadequate offerings and presents it to God through his perfect offering. We can only worship the Father with, in, and through the Son. And God accepts our spiritual sacrifices through him. For those who believe in him will not be put to shame. So friends, God has made us for a purpose, to be a holy priesthood, to worship him. Worship is not entertainment, it is sacrifice. And sacrifice is costly, and it's expressed in how we live. As we interact with each other, let the way we do that be our sacrifice to God. As we relate to people in our families, let the way we do that be our sacrifice to God. As we post on Facebook or Instagram, as we follow those WhatsApp messages, we retweet those posts, let's do that as a sacrifice to God. And if we know those things are such that we can't do it as an act of worship, then we shouldn't do it. As we endure hardship and suffering, let the manner in which we do so be a sacrifice to God. As we serve in church, as we share the gospel and, as ad and adorn it with good works, let that be our sacrifice to God. As we help those who need our help in some way or other through this pandemic, let that be our sacrifice to God. Let's offer our sacrifices daily in many different ways, remembering that it is only through Jesus that our sacrifice is acceptable to him. In the second part of our passage, Peter elaborates on our corporate identity. In contrast to those who disobey the word, he says to believers, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now this reminds us of Exodus 19, where God spoke to his old covenant people at Sinai, and there God had said to Israel, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be for me a treasured possession and a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But Israel failed to do that. Jesus, however, the true Israel, embodied all that God's people were meant to be. And so now, instead of saying, if you do this, then you will be that, Peter says to us who've come to Jesus, he says, you are. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. It is no longer our aspiration, it is our identity in Christ. Now in the Old Testament, Israel was at least God's chosen race, because of God's promises to their forefathers. But now, Peter says to those who believe, Jews and Gentiles, whatever color our skin, whatever stock our genes, whatever it might say on the chip on our IC, he says to us, you are God's chosen race. And so racism based on genes or culture should be unthinkable among us because our real race is not based on birth, but on rebirth. We are a spiritual race of people who have been born again by the gospel. We are a chosen race. And we are a royal priesthood. Jesus, we saw, is our great high priest, and then together we are all his priests. We are a company of priests who are serving the king, and so we are a royal priesthood. And the priests of the Old Testament were holy, set apart for God's service, and so are we. And since we've all been set apart together, we are a holy nation. 
Israel all was meant to be God's treasured possession. Yes, yes, the whole world is his, but they were meant to be his in a special way. And in Christ, that is us. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That is our corporate identity. And for what purpose? Well, from the second half of verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Back in Isaiah 43, 21, God said he was going to save his people Israel from exile in Babylon, that they may declare my praise. But friends, we have an even bigger reason to declare God's praise. God has saved us not from exile in Babylon, but from sin and death and hell. He has taken us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And we've got to tell the world about that. Once, verse 10, we were not a people, but now we are his people, saved by his wonderful mercy. Once, verse 10, we had not received mercy, but now in Christ Jesus we have received mercy. God has forgiven our sin through the death of Jesus in our place. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And he will give us our eternal inheritance when Jesus returns. And no matter what trials we face today, nothing can change that. Nothing could possibly negate the goodness that he has shown to us in Christ. He has made us his people together that we might tell the world how good he is. Remember back in the Garden of Eden, the serpent convinced the woman that God wasn't really good, that he didn't really have our best interests at heart. But now on the other side of the cross, having seen his great sacrifice to save us, we know that's just not true. He really is good and we really need to tell that to the world. It is right that we declare the gospel of God's salvation in Christ to everyone. Not just because we love people and we want them to be saved, as important as that might be, but so that the God who brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light might be glorified as more and more people come to realize how wonderful he is through the gospel. And there is no higher motivation for anything than the glory of God. So brothers and sisters, who are we? We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And what are we here for? Our purpose is to worship him by offering spiritual sacrifices and to bring his glory by making his salvation known. Let us remember our identity and fulfill our purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the living stone and that by faith in him we will be safe when your judgment comes. Thank you that he is the cornerstone, chosen and precious, and that we as living stones are being built with him into a spiritual house. We thank you that you have made us a holy priesthood to, to offer spiritual sacrifices in that spiritual house. And help us, we pray, day by day, to put away our evil desires and conduct ourselves in good and godly ways as acts of our spiritual worship. And thank you for accepting these sacrifices that we offer to you through Jesus, our great high priest. And Father, we thank you that you have saved us and made us your people so that we might declare your excellencies to the world. Please keep giving us opportunities as a body to tell the world how good you are and tell the world about the wonderful mercy you've shown to us in the death and resurrection of your Son. 
And please, we ask that you continue to teach us as we journey through 1 Peter how we can live our lives as a sacrifice that's pleasing to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.